Love the control. Love the command. Love the spacebar and the hard return. Love the words from East Leeds FM. So, good afternoon and welcome to Love the Words here on East Leeds Community Radio from Studio One of Chapel FM Art Centre in Seacroft in Leeds. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the conversation uh, I'm going to be having today with somebody who is absolutely passionate about Yorkshire culture and identity and history. He's written uh, many books. I've got two of them in front of me. Yorkshire, Ancient Nation future province the lost chronicles of york and other poems so a poet and a historian colin speakman so hello colin hello it's great to have you back you were here about se- uh, seven years ago i think that's right i think when my collection the june fox came out which is uh, some time ago yeah, absolutely well it's very nice to have you back and um i mean I'm, yes i mean I've, we've got lots to talk about but i mean really I mean, for you, Yorkshire is a kind of cause, is it not? Yeah, uh, let's confess it at the beginning. I was actually born in Lancashire. (laughs) (laughs) Don't we got that out there? Um, But came to Yorkshire as a student at Leeds University to study English way back in prehistory in the 1960s. Loved Leeds, loved Yorkshire. Um, Settled here, got married here, taught in Yorkshire schools, started writing books about York, walking books about Yorkshire, the Dales Way and whatever. And increasingly over the years, I've got fascinated by its wonderful landscape, its rich culture and its amazing history. Mm. Uh, and finding that a lot of people in Yorkshire don't know that history. So uh, yeah. maybe we, we, there's a gap to be filled. Well, absolutely. And also one of the things we're going to be talking about is Yorkshire language, is dialect. Because, um, yeah, I mean, you seem to be very much um, kind of possessed of the idea that the, that the dialect of Yorkshire needs to be revived. There must be lots of dialects. But tell us, tell, let's just dive in straight to that now. What, what, tell us about that. Well, it's quite a complicated story. The first thing to say, of course, that um, Yorkshire was an independent kingdom during Viking periods. Jorvik was our capital, but also the name of the province, which extended basically from the River Humber right up to the River Tees and from the Pennines, even the Yorkshire coast, uh, Lancashire coast at one time, right through to the Yorkshire coast. And that Viking culture was enormously strong. And, of course, people spoke and learnt English, but with a huge influence of Norse and Scandinavian, which changed the language, changed the pronunciation. A lot of those words remained in in modern English, but in in working-class speech in particular, in in farms and in uh, um, um, fishing villages, um, a lot of the words remained in use right through to the, well, the present time. And it's form of English, it still is English, but it's a distinct um, variety of English. Mm. And again, Mm. as an English teacher years ago, um, I was aware of how important it is to understand local language and to respect local speech. Um, And increasingly, of course, learning more about Yorkshire history, I've come to recognise how important language is in identifying people and who they are and how it's a part of our culture and we should be proud of it and celebrating it, as they did very much in the last century. 
Yeah. Uh, there were some wonderful, wonderful dialect writers. But over the last, you know, couple of decades, it's got a bit out of fashion. You know, it's regarded as old-fashioned, sentimental, wrong. It's a wonderful way of uh, expressing yourself. And really, I'd love to see young people rediscovering that linguistic heritage, which is theirs to discover. Well, you're very keen. Yeah, you're very keen on a writer called Frederick Mormon, who's written, who who was writing plays in dialect. Is that right? Well, he's he's many things. Um, Frederick Mormon, Professor Mormon, was actually professor of English language at Leeds University just before the First World War. Um, he obviously understood linguistics, the origins of language, Anglo-Saxon, all the rest of it. He taught it to students, taught it to teachers. But at the, in his spare time, he was also a very good poet. And in fact, a couple of his poems are now kind of standard folk songs, uh, like the Delsman's Litany, and a lovely poem called Lord George, which is all about getting the low old age pension. And you'll hear those sung in folk clubs. clubs. But not many people realise it was not a folk song, it was actually a poem, or both poems were written by a professor. Um, he also wrote some plays, tragically... In his 40s, he died dr- by, in a drowning accident, of all places, in Lindendale in the River Scurfer in 1919. And mm. we don't know quite what happened, but the theory is that he leapt into a lovely cold pool uh, on a winter's morning and it caused a heart attack and he was on his own. And we lost one of the you know, great linguists and great thinkers. But he's left, you know, a, 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 a heritage of um, poems <coughs> and three short plays. Mm-hmm. And I must say, it would be wonderful to have these plays performed again. Well, it would be great in a moment, Colin, if you could read one of your poems in dialect. Um, and I, I, I suppose before you do, just to, while you're finding your place, I mean, I, I don't suppose you would say it, it's only Yorkshire who should be valuing their, their, their language and history. I mean, presumably we're, we're losing this across, across the British Isles, really. Well, uh, absolutely. Uh, Yorkshire's only one um, variety of English, one dialect. Um, only about a month ago, uh, over in Bridlington, there was a national dialect festival took place. Mm-hmm. And I finished it for my sins, giving the keynote talk <laughs> on dialects and what they were. And there are parts of, of England which have a very strong, particularly in the north of England. And two of the liveliest organisations are the Northumberland Language Society and the Lancashire Dialect Society, both of which are, are, are flourishing. But also the West Country, and would you believe it, particularly parts of the Midlands, um, black country is also a kind. So there's an awful lot going on, and I think we, we're recognising the differences. And it goes right back to recognising that England was never one nation. We were a federation of regions, and some of us would love to have that back. <laughs> and our distinct culture and languages, you know, uh, are form part of who we are. Because, it's you know, the Scots have got independence, the Welsh have got independence, the Irish, well, complicated story, but <laughs> more or less it's happening, certainly in the Southern Ireland. Um, but England, five, 50 of 6 million or whatever we are in England, we just assumed under an awful artificial thing called British. <laughs> but we're not. We, we are our own distinct peoples. And um, 5.4 million of us live in, in Yorkshire, and we do have that, this rich culture and rich, rich language. So in a very kind of tentative way, I've been experimenting with my own knowledge of dialect and seeing if I could actually write a poem um, 
in West Riding dialect. And to my utter delight, it managed to get approved by the Yorkshire Dialect Society and published in their summer 2022 bulletin. So uh, good dialect speakers will probably realise I'm not perfect, but I'll, I will try. And I should give you a little bit of translation. It's called I'm Nord Barn Yonder, and it basically means I'm not going there. And it imagines an old Dales farmer on a freezing cold day when it's snowy and miserable. And he looks up at the hillside, he doesn't fancy walking over that hill. He thinks about going to the pub, but it'll be full of stupid people rabbiting on about politics and nonsense, so he's not going there. And then he remembers that close to where he lives, there's a churchyard. And he's not going there either because there are too many gravestones of his old friends. And finally, I think it's the best place to be. And it's a kind of message to all of us, isn't it? It's back home where you're safe and sound and warm. So look after you. Look after number one. I'm known barn yonder. Fell tops, white with snow, and nithering wind, causes full of good dubs and clart. I'm known barn yonder. Toad pub along ginnel, full of blethering, throng with gormless crack. I'm known barn yonder. Downdale, Kirk, we now use. Stains, ligging, we names of friends and foe. I'm known barn yonder. Reap by, our lyle house. Ingle look warm. Misses in pantry, wood in foil. I'm barn yonder. Yeah, lovely stuff. I mean, it's, we do, I do, I, I did sound like Scandinavian actually. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's nithered is is a word that I'm familiar with yeah. certainly, and you know you still hear people say and, that. And you can't translate it, can you? In, no. There's no English equivalent. It's mm. nithering. nithering. <laughs> it means extremely cold, yeah. almost yeah, to your yeah. bones. You know? yeah. And there's another lovely word. Like, I can't foil it. Yes, you know I mean I can afford it, it but yeah. I don't want to because it's too dear. You know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. there's a lots of phrases and words. Oh, again, one I slipped in there about foil, wooden foil. Mm. I think a lot of people know that one. You know. <laughs> so wooden foil. <laughs> that uh, foil or hole, you put the wood in the hole, oh, you close the door. <laughs> if oil is very funny in dialect because you use it in all sorts of ways. Um, in old-fashioned houses, you had a coil oil. That was the way you kept the coal. And, and parts of, this one is rather sexist, so it's a bit dangerous. Parts of the pub where the ladies didn't go, uh, went, sorry, as opposed to the main bit where all the men went, the, the bit the ladies' room was called fen oil, the hen oil. <laughs> but uh, these days, that's politically incorrect. But there you go. Excellent. Well, I mean, yonder is a good word, obviously, that we're familiar with. Mm. But, um, yeah, we adopted a word um, a few years ago for y we, yondering, which I think is mm. to go to go yonder, which yeah. I think is a really nice verb that I'd, I'd like to revive. That, that's one of the glories, if you're a writer. The, the dialect and dialect phrases and words is a wonderful treasure house mm. of powerful poetic words yeah. which have been lost in, in standard English. And one of my personal passions is we've lost in standard English what many European languages still have, and that's a second-person singular, which you use in German, du, or French, to, which indicates uh, intimacy, friendship, um, even inferiority, you know, but you'd use it with your friends and your equals, but you don't use it to your superiors. And I remember there's a lovely phrase in Yorkshire dialect, you've got to be a bit careful. If you said thou or thee to your auntie, she'd look at you very fiercely and say, don't thou thee, thou me. 
um, because it's an indicator. And it still happens in modern German, although I'm told that in these days, Germans use do much more frequently than they, they used to. Things have changed. And I think if we had such a thing, we would, we would be doing that. That's right. We would and, be losing But it. it does give you that extra strength. In, in yeah. Yorkshire dialect, you can have that intimacy yeah. and affection that, We've lost in standard English. And you find, you find it in Shakespeare, for example, you know, and up to about the 18th century it was, was there. And it's still there in local dialect writing, and not just in Yorkshire, but other parts of uh, England too. Lovely. Well, look, let's, let's get, we'll return to the language, but let's talk about the history. You've, you've got this lovely book, which is, well, you've got many of them, but this book, book The Lost Chronicles of York, is a book of poetry, but in the it, 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 there are lots of stories in here. You've, mm. you've written poems from the points of view of different of different characters, and some many of whom we won't have heard of, but you obviously you know about because they are Yorkshire stories. And, and I mean, while you're finding one to read, because it'd be lovely to hear one perhaps that isn't in dialect, much as I did enjoy the dialect poem. Um, yeah, I mean, it's I, I I loved your introduction, which I thought was. You know, wide ranging, but there was a phrase which I really enjoyed. Um, you talk about you talk about expressing in your poetry the sheer joy and mystery of just being alive, and I think that's one of the things that poetry does best. But I think what was what's also really interesting about these poems is, although you're writing from the point of view of people who are perhaps have been dead for like five or six hundred thousand years, mm. they uh, live and breathe and feel. Uh, uh, very, very uh, sort of immediate and, and here and present. So perhaps you could read one for us. Yeah, indeed. I'd like to choose a poem I wrote about one of our very greatest Yorkshire scholars, whose name very few people in Yorkshire know, and that's Alcuin. Alcuin was born in the, um, let's get it right, the 7th century, uh, sorry, the 8th century, let's get it absolutely right, um, somewhere in the Yorkshire Wolds, became a, a monk in, in uh, York, and the monasteries were the, almost the universities of the Middle Ages, you know? Extremely intelligent lad, worked his way up through the system, became a renowned scholar and teacher, so much so that he was actually sent by the Bishop of York to meet to travel to Italy to meet the Pope to try and get the bishopric of York made into an archbishopric. <laughs> and so this great scholar, you know, spoke Latin brilliantly and fluently and a poet and a writer in his own right, travelled out there. And on the way home from York, when he got to Padua, uh, from Rome, going back to York, uh, in Padua, he met um, Carl the Grocer, who we better known as Charlemagne. And, in fact, Charlemagne was so entranced by this brilliant young scholar, he took him back to Arkham and set up Europe's first university and had a massive influence uh, on European teaching, particularly, of course, on the ideas which eventually were to lead to the Renaissance. This was in the early uh, 9th century. Um, and uh, in this particular poem, I imagine the time when he travelled back, as he did, for a short period to England where he found things a bit awful. And in fact, he returned to, 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 to France and became um, an abbot of a, a monastery. But I reimagine what it must have been like to travel by boat from France up the River Ouse and up, up the Humber and up the Ouse to York and what he would have seen and what he would have felt like. Mm. And I'm imagining an elderly scholar looking at the beautiful landscape and in particular looking at children playing at the riverside mm. and the kind of complex feelings he must have felt mm. uh, as this middle-aged guy who would obviously never have a family, never have children and what it would have meant to him. Mm. I, Alquin, 
scholar, poet, scribe, abbot of Mamoutier, teacher of Charlemagne, now face, like flowers of the garden, chill winds of winter. All flesh fails. Soon my soul, immortal, will be freed. What lives on in this sad world are words of our Lord, mankind and minds yet to be, treasure house of our humanity, shared in books, parchment, memory. I rue only the love I must lose, the laughter of friends that are no more. And my homeland. How well I recall that last journey up the great river, wild ge geese twisting to flight noisily from the banks and beyond the green walls and woods of my birth. By village, children swim in the pools, sunlight on wet skin. Their shouts a hidden cry of pain. Mm, lovely stuff. And, I mean, did Alcuin actually leave any writing of his own? Oh, quite a lot. Yeah. Um, quite considerable. A lot of it's theology, yeah. <laughs> uh, philosophy, yeah. uh, a famous description of the <laughs> Vikings' attacks in the uh, 8th century at uh, Lindisfarne. Mm. Uh, incidentally, a lot of the treasures stolen at Lindisfarne uh, are to be found in the, uh, the Museum of History in Sweden, which we in, in, in Stockholm, which we discovered this year, amazing links, mm. um, yeah. and, and some poetry. Um, in fact, I can just perhaps slip this one in because it was a, a poem he wrote which almost, you could say, was the very first nature poem written by an Englishman. It, however, it was written in Latin. <laughs> uh, so you can't call it the first English nature poem. Um, and there's been a very good English translation, um, but it, me being me, decided I could actually have a, a go at it and make it even more powerful to, uh, at least uh, as I would see it, for people living at our present time. And it's describing when he's an old man listening to a nightingale in the monastery garden. And it's a sonnet. Evening, soft moonlight. From the bushes of broom outside my window, an ecstasy of song, flowing, dipping, re-echoing, fills the room, bringing me a joy for which I long. So small, so frail, mere bundle of feather, dull brown, no larger than my fist, yet strong enough to bring solace, now and forever, to the lonely and bereft through beauty of song. In the deepest darkness of my night, when words can lead only to despair, music pure touches the soul with delight, cadences sensuous through cold mountain air. True emissary of life lord's creation, angel of earthly, eternal salvation. Mm. Which I hope is true to what Alcum was saying in his original poem. But Yeah. Well, I mean, there's... There are plenty of other characters in your in your book. You've also <clears throat> very kindly donated to the local uh, writers library this, uh, as well as those two books I mentioned: Yorkshire Ancient Nation, Future Province, and the Lost Chronicles of York. This one, John Phillips, Yorkshire's Traveller Through Time. I've never heard of John Phillips. Ah, well, <laughs> uh, now then, if you go walking in the Yorkshire Dales yeah. and you see a thing called the Craven Fault. Right, yeah. the great schism in the limestone where they shifted. Um, the guy who first described that 
was a, a young um, man who was the nephew of William Strata Smith, the famous geologist who discovered, you know, almost invented modern geology, um, who was helping his uncle, uh, and they were travelling in the early part of the 19th century. And young Phillips turned out to be an even greater genius than his uncle, um, because not only did he wonderful pioneering work describing the Yorkshire coast, um, but he also... Um, help uh, set up the Yorkshire Museum in York and, and work with the Yorkshire Philosophical Society, became a leading scientist of his time, did absolutely amazing work on paleontology, the study of fossils, and is regarded now by scholars worldwide as one of the greatest paleontologists of all time. In fact, his work is as important in some ways as Darwin's in terms of understanding early life on this planet. We still use his words, Mesozoic, Paleozoic and Cenozoic, mm. to describe the origins of life on this planet. He was also an astronomer. There's a crater on the moon named after him. Brilliant teacher, brilliant writer. And why I got, first got to know him was his, his descriptions of the Yorkshire Dales in particular and some of his wonderful books, in particular M M Mountains, Rivers and Sea Coast of Yorkshire, which is one of the great books about, about Yorkshire. And also, to utterly amazing, the world's very first railway guidebook, <laughs> what to see from the railway. The Northeastern Railway was only um, created in 1864, the very same year that Phillips's book, What to See from, you know, excursions, <laughs> trains, and describes in wonderful detail uh, the landscape, but also with the geologist's scientific eye, what there is uh, to see. He set up the Yorkshire Museum, brilliant lecturer, brilliant teacher, um, also the great Museum of Natural History in, in Oxford. Um, Really, a kind of founding father of the overall national park and countryside movement. Some of his ideas that we use the environment, we use national parks, in particular great landscapes, to teach science and understanding of our planet. Um, you, could, you could certainly describe him as an, as an early ecologist. Great man and um, deserves to be far better known. Well, yeah, why... Isn't he better known? I mean, you know, maybe just me, me who's a bit ignorant about John Phillips, but are you about to say it's because he was from Yorkshire? Well, he, he, again, he came from Wiltshire. He was, he was right, an okay. adopted Yorkshireman, but passionate about Yorkshire in all mm. sorts of ways. Now, really, the root of it all was because he could see flaws, we can now say, in, in Darwin's work. And he recognised Darwin had been a great scientist, and there were great friends and rivals and occasional opponents and whatever. And ultimately, he felt that there was something behind the whole idea of the concept of evolution, um, which you can call God, you can call nature, <laughs> and he cleverly points out. But interesting, now modern science is beginning to say that there is a kind of some sort of first cause, which you know they now call Big Bang Theory. The origins of the world are very complex, and some of his scientific thinking was looking that way. But it was very unpopular to say this at the time of Darwin, and a lot of defenders of Darwin really try to portray John Phillips as a, a, an old dodderer who, because he was a Christian <laughs> and Bible basher, you know, therefore should be ignored. And it's taken a long time for his reputation to discover. And hopefully, you know, certainly in the context of his love and knowledge of Yorkshire, um, I might have contributed in a small way to that. But he's a great man and a brilliant writer. I'm looking forward to reading your biography of him or certainly your, your book about him. And also I should say these books are really beautifully... Uh, beautifully made, and they 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 they're full of fantastic photographs. I'm looking at this one now, uh, just of the Dales 
waterfalls. That's one that's hard draw there. But it's it's just they're really really lovely books, and they're published by Gritstone. Yeah, I should explain actually that uh, I'm a member of um, Britain's or England's first writers' cooperative, and this came about. Uh, I'm a member of the Society of Authors, and two or three of my friends were rather fed up with publishers, and in particular, a book of ours about the Yorkshire Wills. No publisher wanted to publish it, and we were feeling very cross and angry. And what they said was that we don't want to publish a book about the Yorkshire Wills because nobody goes there, nobody knows where it is. I said, that's exactly why we want to write the book. <laughs> so, <laughs> in, in an amount of anger, we got a lot of advice from the Society of Authors, um, and two or three of us got together, and there's now seven of us, um, based in Hebden Bridge, where else? <laughs> or origin of cooperatives. <laughs> and formed a small cooperative, and basically we act as our own publishers, and we work with designers, and we work with publishers, a very, very good design house I work with in Lancaster, absolutely brilliant from our last couple of books. We take all the risk, but we're in control, and it's been a huge success. Um, at least one of the, the world's book has made a profit. We're now in the second edition, doing very well. Other books are struggling financially, but they're the books I want to write. And as an author, I've been able to have full control over over the way the books have been presented and the illustrations and work closely with designers, and it's been a great freedom and a great privilege. So if there are authors out there who are struggling to get their books known, <laughs> it's it's one way forward. But we only work, our little team, with already established writers. We're not there for beginners. We're, not, we're there for people that's already you know, been published and are successful but really want to try to branch out and do things in a different way. Mm. Um, and it's worked. Fantastic. Let's go back to Yorkshire, uh, because you, the title of this book is Ancient Nation, Future Provinces. So I've got to ask you, Colin, are you remember the Yorkshire Party? No, and there's a simple reason for that, <laughs> that it's a great idea, absolutely super, but the Yorkshire Party... Well, it does quite well in some local elections, but it's never going to be a parliamentary party. And somehow we've got to get change in the main political parties. So my book was published in close partnership with a group known as One Yorkshire. And One Yorkshire is um, consists of the leaders of all the local authorities, um, with some Yorkshire MPs, and a lot of independent organisations for example, like the Yorkshire Society that I'm a, a, a keen member of, that really want to see devolution in England. But I believe passionately we won't get political change and more powers given to people in Yorkshire in the same way they have it in Germany, in Austria, in France, with, with the regions or the Länder in Austria and Germany, the cantons in Switzerland. Desperate, desperate situation. But we will not get change without it comes from ground level, from people who believe passionately in who they are, have pride in who they are, um, feel that, you know, there's greatness there <laughs> we can deliver. Um, and in order to try and empower people, it's a question really of giving them a sense of identity. And so many things that are happening have happened in Yorkshire, the history. For example, there's now a huge interest in Richard III. And the reason Richard III was was, was derided by Shakespeare and others was purely political reasons because he was a very much a northern monarch and did great things for Yorkshire and caused a great deal of resentment <laughs> in the south. And we are still dominated in a terrible way by the south because right back, of course, to the harrying of the north. And some of us would argue what Margaret Thatcher did in South Yorkshire in the 1980s had echoes of the southern power 
crushing the industry. And we've, we've seen a decline in industry in our great cities. We've seen wonderful places struggling to survive. Um, the, the standard of living in, in Yorkshire is now, um, the actual kind of earnings of people is less than half that of those living in, in Greater London. There's three times as much money spent on transport. We've got all diesel trains in the north. They've got the Elizabeth Line and whatever in London. Massive investment in London. We've missed out. A lot of anger. And I feel we've got to have political change. But it's got to start at the grassroots. It's mm. got to start with people in this region. And it's not a county. never been a county, Yorkshire. Yorkshire's three counties. East Riding, North Riding, and York is an independent city. We've got to give people a sense of pride who they are and pride equals power right <laughs> yeah and you also for you the the presumably the the knowledge of history and the and a past and the stories that we tell about the place we live in are important you you were saying through the arts mm. the arts being really important very much so yeah very much so. But, but again one of the tr absolute horror stories that's going on at the moment is the arts are being neglected in education mm. and things like theatres and concert halls or whatever are not being properly funded the arts are a huge way i find it absolutely dreadful that public schools have massive massive funding for drama and music but they're denied in state schools. I'm, I'm told Eaton's got three theatres, you know. <laughs> and it's interesting that, that the, the, the ruling class, and we're almost talking in those terms now, you know, consider it's hugely important for their children, but when it comes to the, you know, less well-off people in the regions, in particularly in, in areas like, you know, South Yorkshire and East Yorkshire, we are not getting the kind of funding that the art should have. One or two glorious exceptions, like Opera North, you know, but small theatre groups struggling, and really there's a terrible imbalance in, 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 in Britain somehow Yorkshire's got to do something about this you know and, and change it and we have got to take control one way or another yeah and I think in terms of I mean it'd be interesting to do a, a little survey amongst young people that we come into contact I mean you saw one of them outside mm -hmm. there Charlie just having a cup of tea but we come into, into contact through our work here with lots of young people to ask them whether they felt whether they're from Leeds or whether they felt any kind of affinity with Yorkshire but I guess it has to be uh, you have to imbue that sense of history and Correct. culture yeah, yeah. and right and not just about stories not just about literature but it's also music you're very involved mm -hmm, yep. in Yorkshire traditional music as yeah, well yeah 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 indeed and, and only this in fact Thursday <laughs> there's going to be a performance of the Barbara Seville isn't there in Bradford um, in Yorkshire dialect is that right Ian Macmillan has produced a, a libretto right <laughs> In Bess Barnsley, <laughs> and the singers are, not, are going to be singing not the Italian words, but you know, Yorkshire, South Yorkshire dialect words, which is going to be absolutely brilliant. And is it's it going just to be the one, one performance. One performance. It's, it's, it's in St George's Hall. There may be a few tickets left. I don't know. Uh, with the Yorkshire Symphony Orchestra that's recently revived. Wow. So what a brilliant, brilliant image you know, yeah, of, 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 of identity. And that needs Ian McMillan has actually written the libretto, adapting yeah. the Rossini opera and putting it into, you know, set it in Barnsley rather than uh, uh, Seville. <laughs> uh, and why not? You know, but I think there's huge scope there. And I mean, the more we can do to encourage people to kind of discover and be aware of this identity, this, you know, the stories, the history, <clears throat> the absolutely moving, powerful stories that are there in our, our and, and some of the wonderful Yorkshire writers that don't get their fair share. I mean, I'm a great passionate uh, admirer of Winifred Holbury, and I think her novel of society in the 1930s in East Yorkshire can be compared with Middlemarch. Yep. 
on a massive intellectual kind of way she looks at progress and conservatism. And it's not just a love story, it's far more than that. But why doesn't Winifred get her full recognition with the, the literati? Well, the literati are dominated, as always, by Oxford, Cambridge and London. You know, <laughs> we should be campaigning for some of our wonderful writers, you know, Tony Harrison and various others. Very important. Well, they're all in our local uh, history, our, our local mm. writer's library, I should say, outside, including, and your books are there now too. But we've got everybody from Winifred Holtby, Charlotte Bronte to, uh, yeah, our local well, people who just <clears throat> published last week, like James Lewis Moran. Absolutely. I think the, the, the more that's going to happen. And somehow we've got to get into schools, haven't we? We've got to get dialect in schools. We've got to get children proud of their... I mean, what's going on in English teaching? You know, it breaks my heart when kid, kids of six have talked about gerunds, for God's sake, you know, which is completely abstract rubbish, and which they have to parrot and learn by rote, you know. What they should be doing is actually getting kids to be proud of their and oracy, if that comes into, you know, yeah. giving kids confidence to use the language and be proud of their inheritance. So they're not told it's incorrect grammar because often that's based on ignorance. Yes. <laughs> you know, because you know, again, the Norse, Norse inflections in, in, in dialect are older sometimes than so-called modern, you know, standard English. And we should not be suppressing those. We should be using them. Do you not see some movement in terms of the different regional voices that you hear now in announcing sort of mm. programmes on BBC Radio 4, for instance? Oh, yes, it, very much so. But this, it's got to go further than that, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Absolutely right, though. I mean, you know, one time. It's quite funny, actually, isn't it, to hear, listen to old recordings, even 20, 30 years ago, when there was a terrible artificial form of English called BBC English. Yes. Remember? <laughs> And you hear it now and it's laughable. Uh, the the Queen, bless her, used to speak that. And then she did modify a bit, didn't she? And, and she got older, thank goodness. And I think uh, our present King, thank, thank mercifully, you know. Yeah. Um, but absolutely refreshing, isn't it, to hear lovely softly. Uh, sometimes people, what's the difference between accent and di dialect? And I think it's not an absolute. It's a spectrum, you know, from light dialect, which is so attractive, to broad dialect which it then gets quite impenetrable <laughs> and sometimes you've got to try and somewhere in the middle isn't it when you give speech a lovely and writing a lovely color now colin i can't we can't let you go without asking about the the idea you have for a kind of yorkshire eisteddfod Tell right. us, what, first of all, what an Eisteddfod is for people who don't know, but also what a Yorkshire one could look like. OK, right. Well, this goes back to Wales and, of course, the huge success of the Welsh language and the massive, massive... And I've been watching on television the last couple of years seeing the programmes coming out of Eisteddfod and wonderful, wonderful things with a huge stress, all in Welsh, great stress on youth. And what really moved me, really, was to see 2,000 young Welsh kids with on a pop concert in, in, in one of the last Eisteddfods all singing in Welsh. <laughs> How on earth that's been achieved when, when I was a kid and I have, you know, a, a, a great Welsh aunt who told me that, a great aunt who was Welsh, who told me that Welsh was dying out. Something's changed magically. And the Eisteddfod celebrating the music and the drama. So, um, Frederick Mormon, no less, suggested in 1913 there ought to be a Yorkshire Eisteddfod in which we celebrate Yorkshire culture, identity, music, language, poetry, whatever. So we thought about this, and I'm beginning to get a few people saying what a good idea. But somebody said, we can't use a Welsh word. The Welsh might be upset. So we've come up, in fact, one of your good friends, I think, has suggested it, a wonderful idea, um, using a dialect word, thridings, i.e. the ridings, the third three ridings, fest, thridings fest. And so we are exploring the idea 
and it's still, I'm talking at the moment to St John's University and we may, we have Yorkshire Day coming up every year, August the 1st, that's fixed. But the day after Yorkshire Day, we're thinking of having a Threadings Fest. And this year, Yorkshire Day is going to be celebrated in York. So I'm now talking to uh, St John's University in York and they are tentatively seeing if we can put something on in which we celebrate music from Yorkshire, Yorkshire poems, writing about Yorkshire, poetry, prose, you know, perhaps a short story, perhaps some plays, possibly even performing one of the Frederick Mormon dialect plays yeah. um, or some new material. So we have a whole day in which we're celebrating Yorkshire literature, language and music. Um, a lot to go yet, but maybe it shouldn't just be in York. Maybe we should have it in Seacroft too and other places. Um, so yeah. so it becomes, a, when we have York, Yorkshire Day is all about the mayors dressing up, you know, and yeah. pomp and circumstances and services and big feasts and meals. And ordinary people don't get a share in this. Mm. And the idea of the Threadings Fest would be to involve particularly young people so that they can celebrate how good it is to be from Yorkshire, the nose. <laughs> and, you know, um, now then, etc. Use use the language that, that they are proud of and their own new words. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not just for old people, you know, let's get the youngsters. No, and I think, you know, I've just been doing a writing group down in uh, Leeds East Academy School. Got five young people there, and you know we were just talking about. They kept one of them came up with a word today. We took with with, with, with used the word snarl, you know, and yeah, I thought yeah. what a great word. Yeah. Let's talk about that, and that yeah, we like that word. You know, just so people, yeah. I think young people are excited by language, and they'd be yeah. excited by uh, language that they're not familiar with, Indeed. but it's nonetheless theirs. Because Indeed, it's yeah. in their me- it's in the folk memory. Yeah, and, and the beauty is they can talk to their parents, and in particular their grandparents, and they will find all kinds of wonderful. Rich, funny words, and if we can encourage them to use it, you know, words like lug oil, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pin back their lug oils, you know, and and lots of phrases which I'm sure mm. they'll collect, yeah. and it'd be wonderful to actually encourage them to use them as as a and and inspire their own work and uh, um, writing. Let's have another poem. If you don't mind, it might be the last one, but it would be not the, not the last one you ever read, hopefully, but the, the last one you read on the programme. Well, I, th- I thought to, to um, something quite different, we might just celebrate. I'm, I'm a, quite a keen gardener, right? Yep. Yep. And I spend a lot of my time in the garden digging up weeds. Uh, and it can be a bit irritating, really, because you think, well, you know, why, why am I doing this, spending a lot of my time kind of destroying stuff? And I say to myself, well, it's a bit crazy, this, you know, because... Um, Dandelions in particular are actually very beautiful and rather special. And why on earth do we try and destroy them? Um, And in fact, it seemed to me in a way a kind of symbol for what we do with nature. We try and vigorously kind of control it um, and regiment it. But, you know... Well, that's a wonderful word too. It's a bit of a... Dandelion, as in the teeth of the lion, don don de de Lyon. Yeah, well... well, more about the meaning of the name, but also they're kind of, I don't know, anarchists, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, you know, we're now entering a period of you know, quite difficult climate choices, but it's maybe things like dandelions are going to survive. Dandelions, gaudy disruptors of neat lawns, anarchists, peace on leaves, tittlebeds, all man's clocks. Leaves, clusters of green arrowheads tagged with lion teeth, soon crowd out simpering pansies in my border. Their roots, thick and deep, drill through clay, 
Resist spade or trowel, push up long, lean stalks and buds that overnight break to sun-yellow tousle heads, defiant, rampant, devils of disorder. But look, how soon they morph to spheres of delicate perfection no jeweller can mock. Time-tellers, tiny commandos parachuted by breath or whisper of wind. You can drink their flowers as golden wine, eat leaves as tart salad, roast roots for coffee or blend with burdock for childhood summertime dreams. So why, oh why, do I rid my land of these not welcomed guests? Who defines which be cherished and which condemned? Maybe I envy their vigour, coarse and common, that one day will overwhelm neat rows, Latin names, and celebrate chaos come again. Lovely stuff, Colin. Yeah, well, I'd thoroughly recommend this book, Lost Chronicles, The Lost Chronicles of York and other poems, but you've, you've, you've got at least several other collections, is that right? Yeah, about, I think about four, I think. All, yeah. all slim ones, mind you, but this has actually been the, 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 my biggest collection. But uh, And where do we find your work, generally speaking? If people go, wow, I'm, I'm enjoying these. Well, well. Uh, I hate to say it, most of them are on Amazon, <laughs> which I hate, but what Talking can you do? Talking of anarchists. <laughs> but, absolutely. Um, but, but also online, I mean, you can just Google this, I see, you yeah. know. Um, and through Gritstone, that's, um, you that's know. the cooperative. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. small cooperative. Gr- just put Gritstone Cooperative writers in and we all pop up so and just in terms of it's been great talking to you or listening to you and it's uh, just just to summarize what's coming up next august there's the threadings fest is that definitely going to happen still in negotiation but i'm confident there will certainly be yorkshire day and there will certainly be something linking to it you know well we'll try and get over there and do some interviews Mm. Um, that would be lovely and then maybe in future as you say you could bring Yorkshire Day Yorkshire Day uh, well Threadings Fest I should say on tour well indeed well uh, in 2025 it's going to be in Bradford as part of the City of Culture (sighs) so that will be a wonderful opportunity yes but sure. um, but many other things will be happening before then, and yeah. uh, you know there, there, there's there's a lot going on. And um, yeah. I say the York Society in particular, I think, is now changing. It's no longer about posh people having dinners <laughs> and blue plaques, but it's also increasingly going to be about you know getting people involved in their own culture and identity. And this is why it's so brilliant to be here, because I think what you're doing at uh, Chapel FM is is absolutely super and part of the agenda. Well, we can do more, and um, hopefully with your help. Any any more books coming out soon? Not at the moment. I've got myself involved in so many flipping campaigns, <laughs> including yeah. uh, including Threadings Fest and things, and also some work in the Yorkshire world. We're desperate to make it a UNESCO World um, Heritage Geopark, a World Geopark, I should say. And, wow. um, and, and that's to celebrate the unique quality of the landscape and the culture. Wow. So again... Um, wonderful area to discover get to know right about a certain guy called David Hockney has been there before as mind you but Mm. uh, um, (laughs) there's a lot more to say about that wonderful part of eastern Yorkshire that uh, I seem to be spending a lot of of time writing about and visiting well finally because we are going to be rebroadcasting this as well Probably lots of people with it will hear this program as part of writing on air as well as love the words today because we are um, our festival is coming up starts on Friday mm. <clears throat> we're rebroadcasting this uh, program as part of that in terms of the th- the theme of missing because a lot of words have gone missing a lot mm. of dialect words have gone missing so finally before we we leave you any particular words Yorkshire words you could leave us with. 
Well, we, we mentioned one or two, we? like nithering, yeah. <laughs> being extremely yeah. cold. Nithering. cold. Yes. Um, one word I love, and I think you use it in your writing too, and that's the word quick. Yes. Because that goes back to the wick. And in dialect, it's wick. And oh, when you okay. when you find um, wick, uh, as in alive, alive yeah. in the Shakespearean sense. Remember, yeah. remembering Winter's Tale when um, Leontes hugs Hermione and says she's the statue, and she, you're, she's quick with light, yes. quick, quick and in my life, arms, yes. so quick in the quick dead. in my yeah, arms, yeah, yeah. quick in that sense is used in dialect. And if you find, for example, a load of maggots, you know, on a piece of meat, you say, yeah. "Wow, it's a wickwiam." <laughs> so wick yeah. in dialect is quick and okay. that is a lovely lovely word and you know and it means there's too many of the buggers you know wick wick you know? yeah 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 <laughs> is it really just the wick of a candle though the wick no no, no it's not well no. yeah it's the same way it's live isn't it it's live, live. Yeah, yeah yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. right but in the dialect sense you're a bit Bit angry about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or it's there's throng. That's another lovely word. Throng. Yeah. You, 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 it means packed out with yes, people. Yes, thronged. Know. And yeah. we do use that. We word. do. Yeah. Yeah, we do. yeah. A lot of them slip in, in and out yeah. of standard English, but you know. Yeah. Throng. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Colin, for for uh, for coming in today to love the words. And struggling to get in last week, but you couldn't because pylons were on the road, oh, on the route and all. Oh, everything happened. We were train derailments and then a crane yeah. tipple over. <laughs> we're going to be put off. You're here today. We're so here today. thanks very yeah. much for, for Elliot Brilliant. being being on the desk. And yeah, listen out for writing on air starts on Friday with the launch of our uh, our own book, Myth, the Missing Anthology. That's mm. seven thirty. Our first program on Friday. Programs go right through more or less to the third of December. So you, that's all for for now. Keep listening to. Uh, Uh, team music which is on young people playing their favorite music in about 15 minutes time 